electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the much-hyped AI trade, whether it is getting a little overheated. This is several stocks in that space take big tumbles today. However... Many of them are off the low, so we are going to discuss and debate with the investment committee what to do from here. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. Uh, you'll see we're green across the board. We'll call it the highs of the session for the most part uh, for all of the, the major averages today. Really interesting stuff going on, too, as we come on the air with you. I want to show you some intraday charts that I think tell a considerable story. You come in thinking, OK, maybe these AI stocks are starting to look a little toppy, Josh. Um, C3AI was down, down big on, on its guidance. Take a look at that stock uh, intraday. Uh, that's, that's one. CrowdStrike, uh, number two, revenue growth slowing. Stock was down. Throw the intraday up, uh, please. And then look at that. Uh, Okta, a number one, another one out of the software space. Down, says business environment can get worse. Stock was down. Weighing, it's trying to move higher a little bit. Salesforce is another one, obviously, we're watching closely today out of the Dow, uh, which is attempting its own little move here. But Josh, I just find it interesting as we ask this question coming into a new month, this being the first trading day of it, whether these AI stocks have gotten too, too hot, too toppy, and the moment they start to go down by any great magnitude, the buyers come in. What do you, what's your takeaway here? Well, I think, so like I'll, I guess I'll do CrowdStrike individually. This is a company that reported a 42% year-over-year increase in, in revenue, which most publicly traded businesses would be thrilled to report. Um, unfortunately, last year they reported a 61% uh, uh, revenue growth figure. Um, we already know, though, that that 2021, early 2022 uh, growth environment is not the environment we're in now. So I don't think anyone was terribly surprised, and that's why the stock is still trading. I mean, it's, it's barely down right now. Um, it was an incredible report, and every important metric, customers added, customers above a million dollars uh, added. Like, all, all of the, if you're an investor in the company and not trading an earnings reaction, um, there's nothing in here that you would see and say uh, something is wrong. Um, but... I think everyone understood that 2023 was going to be a more challenging year for enterprise spend in general, for all software companies. And so we're seeing across the board, it's growth. It's just not breakneck growth uh, from that post-pandemic period. So I think there's a little bit of a mental adjustment. Most of these stocks have been cut in half already from their highs of that era. Uh, and so I think that's why the stock is okay uh, right now. And I'm a long-term investor here. so. One quarter or another quarter doesn't really change how I feel about the importance of cybersecurity spending uh, over the next decade. Um, as far as the AI stuff, 
you know, it definitely got a little bit hot stove. I think everyone understands that. A lot of people use terms like overbought without really understanding that there's a technical definition. Um, but by any definition of overbought, um, C3AI, NVIDIA, the, the stocks that have been caught up in, in that momentum, all of them were statistically overbought. Put your feelings aside. RSIs above uh, 85 are incredibly overbought. And all we're talking about when we say RSI, it's a relative strength index. It's the strength of the stock itself relative to everything else that's going on out there. And when you see readings like that, it doesn't mean it's the top forever, mm -hmm. but it's obviously the most stretched the stock can possibly be, which means the likelihood um, of, of a little bit of a retracement uh, is higher, not lower. And so I, I think that's what we saw there. You know, I'm looking at NVIDIA uh, right now, which is a, sort of another good example of what Josh is talking about. Took a quarter of his position off, which he shared with all of you um, the other day. That brings me to you, Steph, mm. uh, because, you know, we talked about sort of stocks that are in this wheelhouse, uh, Broadcom being an, another one of them, to which you trimmed it as well. So given what Josh just, just said and the way you're thinking about these stocks, too, how do you, this now has earnings as well uh, after the yeah, bell tonight? So I know you're watching this closely. Sure. This feels like trying to get ahead of what could be a, a pullback. Well, no, I don't think there's a big pullback. I think the secular themes are just too powerful. And, and I would add to Josh on cybersecurity. It's AI, it's data center, cloud, and cybersecurity. And so as a group as a whole, maybe they're a little extended. Maybe they can take a pause, but I don't think they are going to collapse to the very point you made at the top. There are buyers on weakness, right? Jim's going to talk about one that he wants to buy shortly, right? So for me, I'm not negative at all on Broadcom, but the stock was up 11% two days ago on no new news. And this does not have the same juice that NVIDIA has, right? It doesn't have the same beta. If it goes up 2 3 4% in a day, that's, that's, a, that's a home run. That's a victory for me anyway. But 11% on no news, and then it reversed and then closed down 2%. It did. And it was sort of, um, you know, one of those moments that, you know, Joe Terranova was talking about as well. And, you know, there were a number of stocks that sort of intraday sort of yeah. traded well below where they had opened. I mean, when you look at some of the stats, they're, they're pretty astounding. C3 AI, for example, was up 125% yeah. in May. I know. Um, CrowdStrike was up 33% before today. Okta was up 36% in three months. Salesforce was up almost 30% in three months. Now, you know, part of that takes today's decline into consideration, sure. part of it does not. But it makes your point, these stocks have had a huge run in a very short period of time. Right, and, and for Broadcom, it went from a 16 forward multiple PE to 21 times in two weeks time. That's a huge re-rating. So I think the quarter is going to be fine tonight. I like their revenue mix. It's very diversified. I like that they got the new contract with Apple. They are generating a ton of free cash flow, buying back a ton of stock. So I still like it very much. But it's to the point of all of these names, there is some froth out there. But then I step back and I say, long term, I mean, we talk about total addressable market for AI alone as a trillion to two trillion by 2030, growing at 40 percent a clip each year. And then I listen to the CEO and what they have to say. And it's not just NVIDIA's CEO. It's Cisco. It's Microsoft. It's LAM Research. It's Applied Materials. It's AMD, et cetera, et cetera, right? If the food chain is so long and so vast, there are going to be so many winners over time. Mm -hmm. And so you can get excited about it. You just got to be valuation disciplined. I feel like so many stocks at this moment, as you see in other moments, 
you know what I mean by a moment, uh, are going to get the benefit of the doubt, mm. okay, mm. until they don't. So they get the benefit of the doubt at the beginning. You talk about AI, everybody rallies around your stock, the stock goes up, and then you're forced to really back it up in the quarters that follow. And if you can't, then you get severely punished. So how do you view this in the here and now as we begin the month of June and you're thinking about your own exposure in the market as it relates to this area? Yeah, and it's light. And so that's what's on my mind every day when I wake up and frankly, when I go to bed, I'm light in AI, I'm light in tech. So I got to do something about that. But first, you got to characterize it as a mistake to not be at least at market weight with technology. Now you got to say, am I going to compound that mistake by buying at the right price? So let me be clear. I look at NVIDIA as the one within the space that's got the most chops, the most fundamental to the point you just brought up, Scott, the most likelihood of following through. Um, and I want to own it, but I don't right now. So how do I do that? Um, I don't think, you know, that buying Friday, buying yesterday or today is the right move. Um, you know, I saw it was down yesterday. I don't think this is going back down to where it started the year, not by a long shot. I do have a question for our friend Josh. Oh, um, yeah. You know, Josh, you're the, the technical guru for all of us. Um, and you've been the god on NVIDIA. Um, I am not a technician, but I know some technicians who say that all gaps must be filled. There is a gap in this long-term chart. It was just a factual from like 246 to 279. There hasn't been any regular session trades for NVIDIA in that space. My question, and it's an earnest inquiry to you, is does that gap need to be filled, as some technicians would say, or is that folly to wait for it to be filled? So uh, I, I do think that I do think that a lot of gaps do get filled, but there's no statistical evidence that says they all need to. Um, but I want to do just a little bit of Trader 101 here because I think it's a useful uh, explanation for the audience when we talk about gap fills. Um, the first thing is most people who walk around saying all gaps get filled uh, are just repeating something that they heard and, and it's like kind of an old wives tale because there are actually four different types of gaps. And this is work that goes back to Edwards and McGee. But like basically the first kind of gap is called the common gap. And every stock chart has common gaps and they're meaningless. There's no signal there. They just happen from time to time. Sometimes it's because of news. Sometimes it's just because the overall market has a great open or a, or a nasty open. So you can throw those out. The second type of gap is a breakaway gap. And this is when a stock literally breaks out above a prior high um, and, and establishes a new uptrend. Um, the, sec the third type of gap is a runaway gap. A runaway gap is when a stock is already heading in one direction, could be up or down, and then gaps even further in that same direction. The fourth type of gap is the one that you have to worry about here, and that's called an exhaustion gap. An exhaustion gap is basically everyone who wanted to buy buys all at once. And you rarely see these in a downward direction. They're usually in an upward direction. And an exhaustion gap is you've got a stock that's running higher, and then it has a runaway gap, and then it just has this insane gap like what we saw with NVIDIA, which usually is accompanied by some sort of euphoria. Um, you'll often see these in biotech with an FDA approval, for example. Um, the exhaustion gaps are really tricky. You do not want to bet that those gaps won't fill uh, because those are the ones, in my experience, that are most likely to fill. And that's what makes NVIDIA so tricky right now. The danger here is you get a downside gap 
producing what's known as an island reversal, which could signal a new trend. Uh, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but if you're long the stock here or you're about to buy it, that's the thing that you're worried about. And island reversals are um, very, very powerful trend-changing mm -hmm. patterns. So um, here's, the problem. here's the problem you have with NVIDIA. Um, basically, the 200-day is 198, the 50-day is 288, uh, the stock is almost 400. Um, so I don't know that the whole gap needs to be filled. I'll just tell you that daily volume in NVIDIA right now is 83 million shares a day. That's literally three times the median trading volume going back to January of 2020. Um, it probably can't sustain volume like that for very much longer unless they start rolling out cancer cures. Um, and so I think part of this gap does have to get filled. I don't think it has to be extreme. I don't think it has to go back to where the gap started. I just think the stock's going to get back into that gap. And then maybe that's where you want to pick up your pencil and make some risk-reward decisions. Right. So I, I, I love the question because I feel like that very question is on the minds of so many different people yeah. right now. I missed it. Should I buy it? If I don't buy it, am I going to miss the next leg? And I thought that was a great bit of trade school as well from Josh on the kinds of things that, you know, people who look real deeply inside some of these stocks and the way they trade are looking at now to try and decide what the true next, next leg is, is going to be. That was, first off, that was darn good. I mean, let's just pause for a second, Josh. That was awesome, and thank you. Um, you know, where I am with this is thank I need you, to, it, well, it's earnest. Uh, where I need to figure out is not so much the entry point, it's somewhere around here. What am I going to goof around, whether it's 390 or 370? Who cares? Scott, the answer for somebody like me, and if you're at home listening and you're like, you don't own NVIDIA, what do you do? It's the size of the entry position. And I got to give this time, all right? I made this analogy last week that this is like Apple in 2012, which is the year I think I bought it. It had gone up like eightfold in the prior few years. And yet you look at those numbers back in 2012, they're a fraction of where it is today. That's what I think is going to happen with NVIDIA. And I just need to take time. So my entry point, whatever it is, it's probably going to be small. And, and Scott, you're going to hear me talking about this over months, mm -hmm. maybe even mm -hmm. the next year, mm -hmm. getting a full position going. So speaking of, you know, gaps between certain stocks and, and other ones. The gap between the NASDAQ and the Dow <laughs> is pretty epic. Oh, okay, it's ridiculous. Um, and according to Bespoke, we're just coming off this month of May, which doesn't happen very often in their words. Right. There have only been eight other months in the NASDAQ's history that it outperformed the Dow by a wider margin. Okay, in the NASDAQ's history, there have only been eight other months where you had an outperformance like you just had between the NASDAQ and the Dow. Is that a worrisome sign? Is that a sign of yeah. an unhealthy situation in the market or one that's totally just fine for appropriate reasons? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's healthy. Um, I, I watch it very carefully. That's probably the biggest surprise year to date for me is how narrow the market has been. The top five stocks in the S&P 500 account for 24% weighting. That is huge. Microsoft and Apple have, in the last 40 years, haven't seen a 7% each weighting. Now, to your point, is it 
is it appropriate given what we know? Yet probably the narrowness it, it makes yeah, given sense. What we think we know. What we think we know, <laughs> right? But, but like we did, we had concerns about the debt ceiling. We have concerns about the Fed. We have concerns about geopolitical issues. China and Taiwan. China's kind of rolling over. The recovery seems to have stalled. So there's so many unknowns, and so it's easy. Oh, by the way, rates have kind of started to come down, right? Um, and that's actually going to help long-duration assets. So I think. I, it makes sense to me why it's been so narrow and why it's been so tech heavy, in addition to the great statistics and secular growth in what we just talked about in various different pockets within technology. But it's not normal. I don't like to see it. I do think as we chip away at some of these unknowns, we can see a broader uh, market. And especially if the Fed pauses, maybe even eventually cuts, I think you'll absolutely see a broadening. And I think then you'll see some of the participation from some of these really beaten down cyclical names in the commodity and that sort of thing. I think what's really incredible too, Jim, is that you have what some people would suggest is the inflating of a giant bubble at the same time that the Fed is arguably not finished raising rates. So you're inflating, some would suggest, and I'm not saying you are, but the argument that some make is this is all a bubble, which is just peculiar, peculiar to me that it would be happening at the same time that the Fed would be pulling liquidity out of the market. Yeah, look, it's a legitimate discussion, right? And the people you know who are most bearish are some really smart people. Like if you talk to Stanley Druckenmiller or Jeremy Grantham, right? There's rationality, Howard Marks, there's rationality behind what they're saying. What, what I've been saying all along is that this economy is a lot stronger than it's being given credit for, and it continues to show that. I mean, just, just as a point, it's June 1st. Do you know that it was a year ago, almost exactly, it was June 2nd of last year that Jamie Dimon came out with his hurricane comment. It's been a year since. We've got GDP, at least by the Atlanta Fed, now estimated at 2% growing. We've got labor markets still incredibly strong. I'm not saying that all is well in Tahiti, but we're not, this isn't a hurricane. No, but okay. let's just say that the consumer economy is, is perhaps much stronger for much longer than people expected it to be. Now, we're going to have a conversation a little bit later about whether there are sort of cracks starting yeah. to show there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the manufacturing part of the economy is hardly all gangbusters. I think you would Obviously acknowledge true. that. Yeah. Obviously true. And I, let me start by saying that we at Sarity Partners have lowered our probability of the so-called hard landing to 25%. We were at 35% and we were an outlier. We've lowered it to 25%. Accordingly, our year-end price target goes up to 43.56 so so on the S&P 500. And I don't want this to get buried at all. Um, you raised your price target on yeah. the S&P 500 you know, today. You're yeah. revealing this today. Mm -hmm. Correct. Uh, all based on because you think the probability of a recession is is lessened. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, there is a trajectory by which this happens, Scott, and it's not a fait accompli. It's not set in stone. The key point here is that inflation has to continue to come down and, frankly, more rapidly than it has. I take some comfort today from the productivity numbers. The unit labor costs came in much lower than expected. I'm really looking at that June CPI because if the Fed can stop, and I'm not talking about cutting rates. I've never suggested they want to cut rates. But if they can stop here, not only will the economy be on stable ground, but I strongly think that sentiment around this recession call will start to ease. And if that's the case, I will point out something that Steffi, I think, knows very well. You can pick any cyclical stock. You can pick General Motors, Wynn Resorts, an airline. You can pick the metals, right? They all have produced fabulous results, okay? And the stocks have stunk. They've stunk up the joint. Why is that? It's because of this fear of a recession. When the Fed stops, 
that is likely to turn sentiment and say, people saying, wait a second, these balance sheets are cleaned up. The consumer is still hanging in there. Uh, the Fed's done raising rates. Yes, there will be a lagged effect, but now the economy in 2024 can start growing. And Scott, profits with it. We're in May. We're in June. Sorry, we're in June. We're almost halfway through this year. The market's going to start looking at 2024 earnings. And if the Fed is done, it's going to like what it sees. You see, Josh, I mean, the biggest question right now, I think, for the market is what happens if tech starts to fall or falter? Uh, if this great trade that, that we've all been witnessing starts to, to really roll over, what's going to pick up the slack? Is there any belief that you have that cyclical stocks are going to be the thing that does it? I'm not sure I believe that. Um, are you going to buy financials? Are you going to buy energy? Are you going to buy industrials? What, what, what do you think about that? Well, you know, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of times we look at the, the breadth uh, and the internals and we say the leadership is too narrow. And the implication when you say that is that uh, the whole market is going to have to correct because there are too few stocks going up. The problem is over the last you know, 10, 12 years is that a lot of times that narrowness and that, that shrinking group of leaders, the resolution has actually been to the upside. The rest of the market uh, ends up catching up and you get this big catch up trade in all those different sectors that you mentioned. That's happened so many times I can't even count. So it's important to just point out that is one way that this could resolve. It doesn't have to, but historically in recent history, that's how it has um, been resolved. I think it's important to point out, it's nice to have GDP forecasts or whatever, but when you're investing in the market, you're not buying GDP. You're not buying a piece of the economy. What you're actually buying is uh, the cash flows and profits of corporate America. And one of the lessons that we've all relearned in the last year is that the top 500 companies in America that make up the S&P are really, really good at preserving margins and finding a way to grow earnings, whether they're doing it through financial engineering like buybacks, or they're doing it lately by laying people off, or declaring, quote, the year of efficiency, it doesn't matter. That's really what you're investing in. And just look, the S&P up 10% on the year, the Russell is flat. It's not as good for small companies as it is for large companies right now. Large companies have more levers they could pull. The other thing that's important to point out, in addition to the fact that the quote-unquote earnings recession was nothing like what was advertised, is that in a typical slowdown, you have huge debt piles uh, that are encumbering these companies. And that's just not the case now because of the refinancing activity. So yes, corporations took on a lot of debt, but they've locked in effectively zero rates for as far as the eye can see. We don't have this maturity wall coming for the S&P 500 companies. It'll be much tougher for smaller companies. And I think that's being reflected in how markets are acting this year. So again, it's nice to have an economic forecast. I wish you luck. Nobody can actually do it. I certainly can't. We're not buying the economy. This is a very, very different animal right now. And I think that's what's playing out on our screens. Well, we've been buying stocks lately. That's what we're <laughs> buying. I mean, 42.20 is where the S&P 500 is 
uh, right now on this first trading day of June. Do you want to say, and then I want Steph to get in quickly. Yeah, yeah just really quickly. I mean, there was a lot in what Josh just said. And I want to connect two dots that are important. And this is why I talk about GDP, because GDP does have relevancy to the top line for corporate America. The margins are where profits come from. That's where the tog- That's where the difference between GDP and profit growth comes from, is in the margins. And if inflation is coming down, by the way, that's a key central part of my thesis. Inflation is com- coming down. That does help with margins. So, I, Josh, I agree with you that GDP and profits are not inextricably linked, but it does certainly help my case that GDP is growing. Absent that, then you've got jobs falling off, and you know we don't disagree. In there. Jim, yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm, we don't di- I'm we don't dis- We don't disagree. We don't disagree. I, I spoke to an audience of like 300 financial advisors yesterday at the Trade PMR event in Tampa, and the most important point I wanted to bring out is that even if I gave you the economic headlines in advance. Even if I, if I told you in January 2020, we're gonna have 22 million layoffs, close down the economy, would you predict the S&P would be up 30%? You probably wouldn't. So even if you knew how the economic data would go for the next six months of 2023, it still doesn't tell you how people would react to that. And it certainly doesn't tell you what would happen to corporate profits, what would happen to multiples. So it's a very tough game to play. And that's the, the, the main point that I try to get across to people. Historically, with GDP is at about 2 or 2.5%. Two earnings are going to grow about 5 to 7%. Some are going to grow more, some are going to grow less. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I think earnings were much, were much better than expected in the first quarter, because GDP did hold in and hang in there. And so I think they're very much correlated. I, I look at the macro first, and then I deep dive into the fundamentals to mm-hmm. see what I want to do, where do I want to be, how overweight or, or underweight a sector I want to be in. But I very, it very much depends on what's happening in the macro, and not only here, but around the world. Okay, let's do this. Let's squeeze a break in. Up next, we'll do our call of the day. It's a downgrade for one big retail stock. It's tracking for its 10th straight day of declines. Stephanie Link owns it. We'll find out her strategy next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Do our call of the day. It is about that stock right there, uh, which is down yet again today. JP Morgan downgrading target to neutral. They say the retailer faces too many rising concerns. So uh, I want to find out what a shareholder is, is doing here. We believe this, this is from the note. We believe this share loss could accelerate into back to school and linger into holiday given consumer pressures and recent company controversies. Um, there's been controversy around this company, a backlash about their pride merchandise. 
uh, I mean, the culture wars are kind of coming to a retailer or a consumer brand near you, right? It's an Anheuser-Busch first, and now we're talking about this. I was reading something about Chick-fil-A. So here we are. I mean, wh right. what do you do as a shareholder? Well, you stay calm, for sure. Um, I'm frustrated, by all means. Um, and the macro challenges are, the, are, are theirs, right? And, and it's no, nothing new. It's a mix issue, Scott, number one, right? Because they do more discretionary revenues, 55% versus grocery, um, which is 45% of their total revenues. And so no one's really buying the discretionary stuff. And you have disinflation on the grocery stuff. So you have some challenges here in the near term. That being said, I still think they offer a value proposition. They've had 12 consecutive quarters of traffic growth. So that tells you they're continuing to take market share. Gross margins were a complete standout this past quarter, helped by freight, but also helped by cost cutting. And they got religion, right? And inventories, which is a big problem for them and everybody else, fell 16% in this past quarter. So to me, I think they're doing everything they can. I'm not happy with the, the, the political side of things, but they're doing things on the fundamental side that I that I like and at 15 times forward estimates I think it's very attractive down 13% this year I'll take a page out of Josh's book an RSI of 20 mm -hmm. and that's probably oversold I'm not a technician but that's oversold in my book and so to me I'm gonna stay patient probably look for uh, opportunities to to add on on the pullback well, what do you do though when you can tick off all of these legitimate fundamental reasons as to why the business is doing better than a 10 in a row day decline would suggest because of in large part these this controversy I'm just going to have to stay I'm going to have to stay calm and look for the valuation and see I'm going to look at where I think numbers can go based on what I just outlined for you and I think that I could be short-sighted and sell this but I, I just don't think that's the right thing to do well, I, you, you trimmed it not that long ago uh, yeah, and I, in had, April. I had gains in it. So I took profits at the time, but um, I bought it back, you know, because the stock has fallen quite substantially. So I'm not going to get into the fray right now, um, but uh, I, I do like it for the long term. I'm wondering if we're at an inflection point, Jim, with the consumer in general. Dollar General, they cut their outlook, okay? That's not exactly, you know, the highest of high end retail. Macy's, they slashed their guidance. Capri Holdings, that is among the highest of high-end retail, Michael Kors, Versace, et cetera. They're talking about slowing sales. What are we to think right now in terms of the consumer, whether this is in fact an inflection point? I, my opinion, Scott, is that it, the consumer is still healthy and that what you're citing is still this. Consumers are, are overbought. They bought everything. They don't need another ring light. They don't need another pair of yoga pants. What they are still consuming is travel and experiences. Uh, and you see that in, you know, American Airlines, I think it was yesterday, raised its uh, uh, guidance for this quarter. You saw it in the ADP numbers. Services led yeah, beat in, yeah, now, in ADP. Now let me, but let's dance with the bear suggestion, all right? The bears would say that this is all this uh, pent-up stimulus money that's going to run out in the next six months. And by the way, if we continue on this trajectory, it will run out. So what has to happen, and this is my thesis for the overall market, is that inflation continues to come down. The consumer starts to feel a little better. Jobs continue to hang in there. And guess what? Consumption stays or grows at historical rate. Uh, where that thesis breaks down is the Fed continues to raise rate. Inflation continues to go higher. The consumer really hunkers down. And then job losses pile on. That's, that's a scenario that could well, I mean, happen. inflation doesn't have to go higher. It can just stay where it is, too this sticky nature of it, which means that the Fed isn't necessarily going to just walk away. They may do their little June pause, 
but nobody is really suggest suggestive within the Fed who's been speaking lately that that's it. We're done forever. And true. I mean, frankly, I hope they do pause and not, you know, call it a skip. I think that's what they're calling it, right? Whatever you want to call Let's it. Let's see the data come in. Let's see the data come in. Next month's CPI, or two weeks from now, we get the, the May CPI. It's scheduled for 4.1% on the headline. And I know everybody wants to talk about core and X housing and all this sort of stuff. But if you start to get the headline CPO, CPI down with a three handle, I mean, the Fed's going to be hard pressed to just take it easy and not start keep talking about core services, X housing. People see, aren't going to understand. You're it. looking at Nike right now, right? Near the top of your list in terms of stocks yeah, you're looking yeah. to buy. Yeah. Um, what to what what confidence have you been been given by what's happened around that stock in that space? Yeah. Right? Well, Foot Locker got destroyed. Yeah. Oh, that's Foot Locker problems, though. That's not Nike let, let, problems. That's a mix issue. I, I don't want you I mean, to think that's, I'm... That's Nike going more direct to consumer. They're now at 29% direct to consumer. They were nine pre-COVID. That directly hurts Foot Locker. Uh, Nike was down pretty substantially in the wake of that. I mean, Nike... I, Look, Nike is now at 26 times next year's earnings, and historically, that's been the top of the range at which when I buy it, it does extraordinarily well. Now, to your question uh, here coming out of your mouth, well, why aren't you buying it today? There's a very simple answer. No, I'm not. But but there's a very simple answer, because I don't want to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I am so heavily exposed to the cycle picking up, you know, whether it's General Motors or Alaska Airlines or Wynn Resorts. I mean, I am so heavily exposed already that I would like to see a little bit more evidence of a turn, you know, regional bank index, financials in general. I'd like to see more people coming to my side of the equation as far as where the economy and market's going before I get even heavier. What about Lulu, which is today, Steph? I mean, I just the, the problem I've had with Lulu is it's always been expensive. Now, I know it's growing even faster than than, than Nike. Um, and I think but I think it'll be OK. I just don't like the I don't like the valuation. That being said, the risk reward, the stock hasn't really done very well this year. So, you know, it's OK, but I'd, I'd rather buy more Nike if Lulu isn't that great and Nike falls more. I'd, mu- I'd much rather buy that one because I like this whole, as I just mentioned, the DTC transition helps their margins dramatically. Right. And so that isn't Nike more expensive though than Lulu? No. What's the valuation of forward on Nike? Nike is 26 times. Well, this is 28. I mean, we're, you know. It's well, it's, it, but historically, it's been much more expensive. And I think their, their earnings have been coming down. Lulu's earnings have been coming They're down. They're virtually the, the same rate, forward PE. The growth rate has been coming down much more rapidly for Lulu than it has been for Nike. I mean, Nike's been kind of steady, right? Uh, look, you can pick, the, you pick your poison. Pick what you want. But I think that Nike is the better, the better longer-term story. And, oh, by the way, I'm not giving up on China and the China recovery for the, from the consumer. Consumer, not manufacturing, but consumer. Well, that's why you're holding on to stocks like Estee Lauder, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. Where's it been, though? I mean, where where is that consumer that... Well, it just started. They just reopened a month and a half ago. They were wearing masks two months ago. So I think you have to, you have to give it some time. The services component Yo, in the PMIs have actually been better than expected, way into expansionary mode. Josh, so. quick. Yep, go ahead. Sorry, Steph. Uh, Steph, doesn't Nike have a fashion problem? It's, it's, it's kind of out. The resale markets are drying up. That's a canary in the coal mine. The brand is not hot. They've been overly reliant on Jordans. They have an inventory glut. They're discounting sneakers that uh, they, they can't get rid of. Like, 
that's not turning around this summer. Nike's total revenues grew 19% last quarter. Every geography grew double digits. Digital and DTC grew in the 20s. So, no, they don't have a growth problem, and I don't think that they have a product problem either. They have a 78% market share in sneakers. So I think that they have a great pipeline, great technology. Stock down 19% in a month. And that's because a lot of the China concerns too, right? I mean... I think that that's not, I don't, know. I don't think China is dead, but we have to wait. We have to get the results from them. All right. Uh, speaking of getting, let's get the uh, headlines from Tyler Matheson. Hey, Ty. Lively conversation you got going there, Scott. All right, let's take you through the headlines. A 2021 recording of former President Donald Trump shows him acknowledging that he kept a classified document after leaving office, a source familiar with the matter, told NBC News. The recording was obtained by the special counsel leading a criminal investigation into those classified documents and their provenance. Uh, Trump's remarks, which came more than a year before the FBI raided his Florida home, suggest the document was related to Iran. Trump has denied wrongdoing. The presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis spoke in New Hampshire today and focused his attention on President Biden. DeSantis criticized Biden for alerting the primary, altering, excuse me, the primary process and demoting New Hampshire as an early voting state. Trump also returns to the campaign trail in Iowa this week. And the U.S. Supreme Court today ruled against a labor union over a strike that damaged a Washington state concrete company's property. During the 2017 strike, truck drivers walked off the job, leaving wet concrete in their trucks. The decision means the company can now pursue a lawsuit against that union. Scott, back to you. All right, Ty, thank you, Tyler Matheson. Up next, our chart of the day, a stock uh, just got a big buy call. Josh owns it. He's been adding to his position. We'll break it down next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's do our chart of the day now. It is toast, initiated by Bank of America, price target 26. Josh Brown, we know you own it. You recently added to your position as well. You doubled it, in fact, on May 23rd, so about a week or so ago. Yep. Stock's up 10% or so uh, since their earnings. Yeah, so toast is a relatively new position for me, and I plan to continue to add to it slowly over time as the company continues to prove itself. Um, but I want to just quote the analyst here because this is really the crux of the situation. Every restaurant, whether it's a massive chain or a mom-and-pop-owned uh, diner, uh, needs to get more efficient given labor costs, commodity costs, etc. There's just no way around it. And the fastest way to do that is to get your ordering system straight, get your reservation system straight, 
and just be able to deliver what you deliver at the highest possible um, technological efficiency. So this is not a should we, shouldn't we situation. Toast is the biggest brand in restaurant digitization, but it only has 10% of the 860,000 restaurants in the United States. Um, they forecast the U.S. total addressable market, or TAM, might hit $55 billion by 2024. So if they just keep their market share steady and not make any other inroads, I think the stock trades significantly higher. But they actually are growing their share because they have the best solutions for a lot of the things that restaurants need. So mm -hmm. it's a, I think it's a, a secular growth story, not necessarily reliant on the economy. And that's the kind of situation that I like to be involved with. Speaking of being involved with, let me get you quick uh, before we go to break. Uh, ChargePoint reports after the bell as well. You, yeah. you still own this. Uh, Bank of America calls it the best-in-class EV charging play. Uh, that was just a couple of yep. days ago they did that. The stock, though, has been such a dud. What's up? Yeah, and if you don't own it, look, I could be wrong. This could be, they could have a great quarter and the stock could gap up. But I have to tell you, they are not good at talking to Wall Street. I actually spoke to their head of IR. Nice guy. I don't understand why they've been so ineffective at communicating why their strategy is the right one. The stock has no traction. I'm glad it rose on that uh, initiation or co of coverage or upgrade or whatever. But, um, you know, this is one of the worst stocks I'm in right now. I hope it turns around, but I don't think an earnings report necessarily uh, historically has been the thing. So I, I don't know how tonight's going to go. Yeah, we'll I mean, you see down 20 percent or thereabouts, 19 or so in a week. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli has his midday word. We'll be right back on the half after this. Our senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. Um, you know, there were some stocks that got clobbered pretty good off yeah. the open and are trying to fight their way back a little bit. I mean, there's still an appetite, you feel, to buy some of these dips yeah. in these AI-related stocks. I think no? everyone said uh, when you looked at uh, NVIDIA just up on a vertical uh, poll there, it said, well, pull, buy, own it on pullbacks. I mean, that's literally what everybody thought. It's overbought, but yet it's, it's the consensus thing you have to play. I think more broadly, you're seeing the rest of the market sort of uh, get a little bit of a bid today as everybody just beats the same drum about the narrowness of the market. You know, there's a, at least a possibility of self-repair over time. Um, I also wonder, like, what if the overall S&P 500 was doing exactly what the average stock was doing, exactly what the equal weight was doing when we're flat year to date? What would we be saying differently about it? Would sentiment be a lot less enthusiastic? I don't think so, because incentive is not very enthusiastic right now. And everyone thought we were going to be down big in the first half. So if we were flat in the first half, it still would have meant you're doing better than you expected. You're above the lows. I get it. You're going to watch for breakdowns in retailers. It doesn't. It seems like there's an impatience mm -hmm. with the hard versus soft landing question, which is not going to be really settled very soon. Uh, but other than that, I think, uh, you know, first of the month, maybe you take a little bit of the buying with a grain of salt. We'll see what happens. You see that bespoke uh, stat that we did at the top of our show? only eight times in the yeah. history of the Nasdaq. Have you had an outperformance of Nasdaq versus Dow like you had in yes. May? I have seen Pretty that. astounding. Yes. It's 
100% astounding. Um, I don't want to essentially explain it away because it is absolutely true. It's been an uneven, ungenerous market. You also, though, have a NASDAQ that's never itself been more concentrated. I mean, people don't remember this, but the NASDAQ 100 was constructed so that Apple and Microsoft could not get too big. It's actually a modified market cap weighted index because they were just going to own the entire index and eat everything else. So I do think you have markets that get unbalanced like this from time to time. And it's not necessarily bullish, but I also don't think that it's something that you have to run away from. Yeah. Well, look, at it went on for two years, by the way. You're bearish. You can, to you'll point to a number of different things right so, now. Yeah. All right. I'll see you in a couple, right. uh, couple hours. That's Mike Santoli. We'll see him, of course, on uh, Closing Bell. Stay with us. We have Grade My Trade. That's coming up next. All right, let's do great my trade. Steph, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Mahir wants to know about IBM. Bought it at an average of 122 a share. You own it. What do you do? Oh, I think you hold on to it. I mean, you bought it at a good price, number one. And stock is still really cheap at 13 times. It gets you a 5% yield. They have $10.5 in free cash flow that they're going to generate this year. So you're going to continue to see buybacks and increases of dividends. And I just like what they've done in terms of transitioning into a simpler company, focusing on software, cloud, AI, and blockchain. All right, Jimmy, uh, Delta Airlines. John sold it, sold it at $35.38, stock you own. <laughs> this is tough, Scott. I'm not gonna, I, 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 I'm gonna give him an incomplete. I can't give him the grade I really wanna give him. He's a loyal viewer. Um, John, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Stock trades <laughs> at uh, six times this year's earnings. Uh, estimates are going up. You talk to Ed Bastian, things are going great. TSA traveler counts are through the roof. American Airlines just raised its guidance. Now look, I wanna be fair. If you are in the camp that says, and you are convinced there's a recession coming and it's going to be ugly, an ugly recession, not a short, shallow one, then okay, you sell Delta at 35, 38. But that's not where I am. I mean, you, you, know, you, you know, I think in fairness, you could say, well, I still don't think there's going to be a recession, but airline stocks generally stink. <laughs> like you could say that. Yes. They have stunk. They have. Okay. Yeah, I know. The delivery was <laughs> right? good. The delivery was good. That's why you got That's me chuckling. That's what I do. That's, That's what, what I got I do. me chuckling. <laughs> but for real. Scott, I hear you. I, he I hear you. can't dispute it. Stocks at six and a half times. Look, here's what happens when stocks do this. Eventually, the cash flow just becomes too big to ignore, and they start buying back shares. That's what will happen here, mm. you know, if there's no recession. Just got to give this time. But, All right. Yep. Hey, Josh, give your take on DocuSign. Um, one of our viewers, Trent, wanted to know what you think about it. He obviously has, has bought it. Uh, what do you think? So the reason that I personally own it, not speaking for what anyone else should do, is that I think this is a stock that's been mischaracterized as a, quote, pandemic stock. It's an $11 billion market cap. New CEO came in at the end of last year. The original CEO stepped down. The new guy is from Google. I think he knows what he's talking about. He laid out the strategy. If it works, this will be a much larger standalone business software company. Um, and they've got a product that is currently in use as its own verb uh, in society. And oftentimes, those types of companies are difficult to dislodge. So I like the stock. I own it. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. We have a big show coming up. Professor Jeremy Siegel is going to join us. What's in store for June in the summer? He'll tell us. Liz Young as well. 
Joe Ternova. Jonathan Krinsky has a new note on what he sees technically. Christina Partsinevolos is going to get us ready for Broadcom 2, which many will be looking for in overtime. Hmm. See what the latest AI buzz is all about there. Josh Brown, final trade, please. I don't think Amazon's don't, done going up. There is no future of AI that Amazon doesn't figure heavily into, and that is now being reflected in the stock's valuation. All righty. Thank you for that. Farmer Jim. Uh, Boeing, this is a two steps forward, one step backwards trajectory. <laughs> and you're in the two steps forward. You got the 737 MAX being delivered, 787 production going up, orders coming in. All right, Steph. Freeport McMoran is totally out of favor with trades of eight times EBITDA. And they're executing really well with better free cash flow and debt pay down. All right. You bought more Vertex, too, Jimmy. We I didn't did. get a chance to get to that, but I just want to get that now. Bought more Vertex pharmaceuticals. All right. I'll see everybody on Closing Bell. The exchange is right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.